On this episode of Executor Help Podcast, the conversation we've all been avoiding, from existential afterlife questions such as, what happens when you die, to palliative care and the nuts and bolts of green burial, if it has to do with death, my guest talks about it. She believes death awareness brings a happier end to a fuller life. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. With me on the show today is Johanna J. Lund. She is the director, producer of When You Die. Johanna, thanks for taking the time to be here on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, when I was doing research, I don't know, because I'm always looking for different interesting people to talk about, um, to talk to, you know, around the areas of dying, you know, you know, sort of a spinoff of, of my book. And I came across the When You Die project. Now, so when I was doing a little bit of research, I went on the website and something, you know, jumped out of me. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff on there. But um, one of the parts says that you believe talking about death isn't dangerous, but conversely can nurture hap- happier, healthier individuals and families who approach death informed, inspired, and with a sense of humor. Now, you as a filmmaker, you um, like to tell stories. But I know in a two and a half period when you were 19, something, you know, death came into your life and it had an impact on you. What led you to tell stories about death today? Uh, Well, when I was 19, um, I lost my mother, my best friend, who was like a sister to me. We spent as much time with each other, more time than with my own brothers. And... um, uh, and then shortly after that death was um, a car accident that I was in. I was a passenger and we hit a pedestrian and he died in my arms. So in a two and a half years period, three major deaths. And I was on a grief journey from hell. I mean, I was just so had no idea what to do. I would, you know, there was just no earth underneath my feet. And at the time, um, grieving was so taboo. You have to get over it, get on with it, forget the past, all of that. I mean, and of course, that means until you're able to do that, you're kind of like a leper. Right. You know, you you are an outcast. We don't know how to talk to you. You you are just hurting and in too much pain for us to relate to. So it was a very long time of um, before I could really integrate those experiences. And I think when I kind of came, you know, um, made some peace and really started to integrate those things, which I have to say, meditation really helped me a lot. And also that was kind of a taboo thing at that time as well, because, you know, meditation now is very mainstream. And then it was like, you know, it just sounded like some kind of Maharishi weird stuff from India, right? That the Beatles were into or whatever. So, um, so that was weird too. But once I really did start to integrate those experiences, I really knew I never wanted anyone to go through this again. Yeah. You know, it was just, you know, it was just, it was terrible. Um, And I was moving into a a film and television career, which I've been in film and television all my life and learning those great tools and had an opportunity, actually my very first project out of university, um, working on the development of a documentary for PBS in the States 
on uh, death and dying. And I was just a researcher. So I got to talk to a lot of, of the leading death pioneers at the time. You know, this was kind of the AIDS epidemic was was really starting and, and hospice was really, you know, in reaction to people who weren't being cared for at the end of their life. So I had a chance to talk to a lot of amazing, amazing people. And we put together a proposal. It was extraordinary, really. And PBS was blown away. They said, this is great. They said, but you know, the world isn't ready for it yet. It's still, it's still too taboo to talk about this. So that was a million years ago. And, you know, that was a, a thought from way back then. And in the meantime, I've been many things in film and television, worked in broadcasting for a whole bunch of years, and then started my own production company not too long ago. Um, and when I was casting around for some ideas after my last film, you know, I was thinking, well, what if I do this? What if I was talking to my business partner? We were casting around ideas. And he's like, no, no, none of that feels right. He said, you got to have something else, right? I said, well, there's this death and dying thing. We've never, you know, I've never really done that. And it's, I've always felt like at some point I would bring that back into my life. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So I started researching it. And as we were doing some other gigs in different parts of the country in US and in Europe, um, I was filming people along the way and doing research. And one thing I knew for sure with, with this one film, it started out as a single film, was that I didn't want to script it before I shot it. I really wanted to be curious and go talk to people. And because we had other work going on, that I could piggyback off of that. I've got a film crew in London, England. Who's here? Do I want to talk to? You know, and and so we kind of went along in that way. And also, I know having been a broadcaster for a lot of years, that when you partner with a broadcaster, they have very strong ideas about what story you should tell. And I wanted to discover the story that I didn't know. And mm. I did. And so one film turned into three films, turned into the When You Die Project with all of these resources. And I like to say that people come to our website and they form questions they didn't know they had. So, ooh, that's, that was a lot to get us to where you, you know, how you ended up telling those stories. But I know on the subject, I know the subject of, of dying and especially when you said, you know, the world isn't ready for it. You know what? Maybe we should give the spoiler alert. We're all going to die, and mm -hmm. people are uncomfortable with that. And is there ever going to be the right time to tell the story? And um, I mean, I've had that problem. You know, even pitching it to you know promoting the book. Some producers and and uh, they or segment producers don't want to hear about it because they don't think that the public is ready for the uh you know talking about dying so i know the subject is hard on the living and the dying but what did you realize made it so hard well i think it's fear i think people are terrified about death and really since world war ii we have pushed it as far away as possible up until world war ii um pretty much we laid out our relatives in the parlor and after World War II, it was Better Homes and Gardens reframed the home. And no longer do we have parlors, we have living 
burying rooms. Oh. And now funeral homes are where the bodies go. Now there was a gradual shift in that direction, but World War II was really the dividing point where we really said, war sucks. We are not going to talk about death anymore. Here's a whole generation of men who experienced intense trauma and we're going to pretend it didn't happen. And we're going to get death as far away from our minds as possible. And that launched, you know, this, this, in this period of really losing touch with what does dying look like, you know, for my grandmother, and, and still there are some places in the world, you know, in North America where this is still true, but for, for definitely for, for my grandmother's generation, people had babies in the house and people died in the house and they knew the language of death and dying. Like, what does it look like when someone's approaching death? What are their needs? How do you care for them? Um, all of those things that we know nothing about and we're terrified of. So I think death is hard because we're so afraid of our mortality. And I'm not saying that's unhealthy, but we're kind of pathologically afraid of death. So in a, in, in a weird way, this pandemic has brought death so much into the household again, you know, only in a very fearful way. You know, the the death counts, the COVID numbers, the all of that, it, you know, we're, it, the specter is, is one of fear. But I think there's also one of more curiosity now, too. And especially when people have been separated from their loved ones in the early days of COVID, where <clears throat> this happened to my um, husband's cousin, you know, uh, her her husband was dying of a of COVID and she couldn't be with him in the hospital. She couldn't go there. And this is before they even used FaceTime where they could bring them in, you know, at least on a screen. Mm -hmm. And it was hell. It was so hard on the family. So fear, I think, is is the number one reason why death is so hard because it's it's ignorance. We don't know. So our, as you're saying, our, uh, you know, past generations, it was, a, I guess, a normal thing. You know, births in the house, deaths in the house. But we, I'm not gonna say we got. We, we've we wanted to push it off to the side. Death is something that happens to others. It's not going to happen to me. And when it does happen to you or somewhere in the family, it rocks the foundation of everything because now you're lost. I know um, I was lost when you know when I first lost my mother. That's the first time anybody really close to me passed away. Yeah, I've been to funerals before. And then 18 months later, I got my dad gone as well. And the feeling just doesn't go away. It's just, it's there. And it, to me, I feel like my my life had taking, you might, you know, you may, might be going on, on a, a straight path, but, you know, those deaths, especially with your parents, it's, I feel slightly off. Everything doesn't seem the same anymore. And, you know, what happened to you when you're 19, do you think that's changed how you see death now um, and you you had it at such a young age and in three different sort of situations, which you probably didn't expect. It, it's it's got to rock who you are. Oh, I, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say um, it, it, who knows what the course of one's life is supposed to be like when you're a teenager, right? right. <laughs> but it it definitely flavored um, a, a lot of my my life for so so many years, and you know, learning to 
make friends and to understand grief. You know, I, I think it took me decades before I realized, you know, that grief is actually a, a very legitimate human experience. Like I, I didn't, I thought grief was like, like a virus or something, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that it's, it's a natural thing. And, and now I know too, that we don't, we grieve from the big death, from the loss of people we love, but we also have grief around divorce and loss of a job. And, you know, even, even things like, you know, your favorite tree gets blown over in a hurricane and there's like, oh, you know, I love that tree. We have big, oh, definitely with animals. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. It's, it's so much a part of the fabric of our life. And again, with, with COVID, we, um, we grieved being with other people and we grieved our favorite restaurants and we grieved so many of the routines that made up the fabric of our life. And so, you know, I think understanding that these things are normal, that this is part of being human. And I think for me, learning about death and, 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 you know, going on this journey of this project that I'm a hundred percent into um, was really learning more about being a human being, the preciousness of being alive, you know, because it is so temporary. You know, there's a wonderful old Christian meditation. It goes back to like the 1200s and it's, um, you know, remember you must die. And then the other side of it is remember you must live. And really, if you think about that, even flash on that once a day, you know, yeah, I am going to die, but that means I have to live. I have to live. I have to be consciously alive. And, you know, we're not always consciously alive. I've been in my work routine, kind of, you know, the alarm goes off, the dog sticks his nose in my face. Okay, get up, drink the coffee, go to work, you know, but being alive is feeling how moist that nose of my dog is when she sticks it in my face to make sure I get out of bed and how soft her fur is. And, you know, that first kind of sitting upright moment, like being really alive is a lot different than going through your routines. And, and I think that's part of really exploring death and it's the gift of death is the gift of life. So I know like that might be too heavy, but it's my it's experience. Not heavy, it's, but it, it it it's it makes you want to enjoy and be grateful for what you have, even the the smallest of things. By the you know your dog nuzzling up to you and you feeling that that's you 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 don't you take that for granted. And, and there's so many things that you take for granted, and you don't realize until it something you know grief hits you or something in your life changes that normal um path that we're all on that you start to realize it i can say tess um i talk about it in the book because of what i went through um i ended up having triple bypass surgery in between mm. times going to uh going to court it happened in november and we were going back to court in january and i had to figure out i gotta get better because i have to go back to court but sitting in that hospital room and i and that's why i you know i, I talked friends and clients you know they're retiring or you know just enjoy life and long as you have your health 
because I know when you're sitting there in a hospital bed, yes, people come in and they see, sit with you, but then they're going to get up and leave you. And life goes on without you. So it's like you're on the path of life and you're in the hospital, serious illness, and you're, you've taken that off ramp and you have to enjoy what you have. And yes, death is going to come, but you know what? Enjoy who you have. Enjoy the people around you. Enjoy the small things like the nuzzling of a dog uh, on your nose first thing in the morning. And I guess, you know, death is going to come. I've heard that, you know, people are, I don't know if people are afraid of death. They're more afraid of the leaving and leaving others behind. And this is where we need to make it a, a normal conversation and just make our families understand that these things are going to happen. And I want to prepare you for when it does happen that I don't leave you disorganized and in chaos. So what you're doing. That's, that's definitely a huge part. Having that conversation, talking to your family about what you want, like what would a good death be for you? It's not going to be the same for everyone. You know, I know one, there's a, a phenomenon when people, and I'm, I'm going to put this in a weird way, but when you have the good fortune of knowing that you're on a, on a trajectory towards death, you've got a terminal illness, you actually have some time to um, have some conversations that maybe you should have had before, absolutely should have had before, but that, that you can say, um, you know, this is what I want. I, I like, for me, a good day is eating ice cream, you know, or for me, a good day is listening to music, you know, or watching the autumn leaves. And there's this phenomena where, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you get the call, you know, my grandmother is dying, come, you know, come now. And she stays alive long enough for you to get there. Or it's the opposite. When everyone leaves the room after they've been sitting vigil for days, then they go. So everybody is different. Like, I can't let go with all these people in the room. Like, I know for myself, people are going to have to be out of the room because I'm going to always want to be in the middle of it with all my, with my family. I, so if they're around, I'm, I'm not going to let go very easily, <laughs> but it's kind of understanding your style in a way. And it's understanding, you know, a little bit of what you want. Now, not everybody's going to get to that level of understanding, but, un but knowing that 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 happens prevents people from feeling bad like how could she go i just went to the bathroom you know like like or feeling exactly. bad like you weren't there for them or things exactly. like that you know that happened with my my mom i was i was with her all you know for the first time i went home in a couple of days and was you know came home to sleep was going back the next morning she passed away during the night on the other hand with my dad i was with him the whole day it was a saturday and we were there, you know, I put my uh, son on the phone so he could talk to him in his ear. He would squeeze my hand and he heard my, my son's uh, voice. And all I said to him was, okay, dad, I'm just going out for supper. I'm, I'll be back in a half hour. I barely got out of the parking lot down the street where I got the phone call, turn around, come back. He's gone. So it, um, it it changes you. It just makes you feel, you know, you know, we, we, you know, at least you got to say your goodbye. You got to talk to them. They knew how, the, how they, uh, how much you love them and you move 
you again, like I said, it's I miss their voices every day, but you learn to move on, but you're never the same anymore. You're never you're not going to be the same. And then the put the nonsense that goes on, you know, when it comes around money and everything else around there, it just makes it just changes the trajectory and the, the the survival of the family going forward, which is why I would ask you, why did what is the when you die project and what if someone comes to the the website because we'll talk about the movies in a second um what will they find when they come to the why you die project uh well the, the when you, you die, die dot org. that's okay um <laughs> uh there's it's it's really a site full of all kinds of different resources and and i say it's kind of like you know the aspiration is that it's the huffington post of death and dying that you won't necessarily find answers to all your questions but you will find the resources to go find questions so we're not trying to be everything in that way but we are trying to be a clearinghouse and i know i think you know one of the areas that that is big for us is having the conversation you know how do you start having that conversation that nobody wants to have that is a very difficult thing you know especially when when you know, in a way, how important it is because you don't want families warring. You don't, you know, um, there's so much fear around saying, well, now when I die, um, this is what I want. But once you break through that ice, it shifts and, and you can start talking about it in a normal way. But how does how do you start that conversation? Because it's really critical. Yeah. Um, so we do have a lot around that. And we have a lot around, um, you know, what do the months, weeks and days leading up to death look like? What happens in the body? What happens in the mind? And I think those are important things to understand, too. And gosh, there's just so many things. There's a fair amount on grief. Is you know, it... but I think we could do even more around grief. Yeah, well, because you, you had talked about the different types of grief earlier, and it made me think, you know what, that's one emotion, because you said it's a normal emotion, that's one emotion just comes out of nowhere, and just blindsides you and can change who you are and how you are, depending on what a, um, the, the, the amount of grief that is, whatever the situation might be, death of a pet, a restaurant, you know, they're all in different things, but there's grief, and it's an emotion, it can't be taught, it's just something that'll come out of nowhere and just slap you upside the head and, and change who you are. And, and it's funny when you're talking about the conversations, and that's why I'm always saying that conversations matter. I, I had a, a guest on an earlier show talking about his, you know, when his mom was passing away and she was saying, you know, when I die and he didn't want to hear it. And it wasn't until he accepted that this is what she wanted because she was asking questions, you know, will it die when I hurt? And he didn't want to hear that. And once he accepted that she was going to die, it made it a lot easier because it was what she wanted. It wasn't about him anymore. And it just makes right. it easier. And I think That's because good. we're so afraid of it, we're always in a situation that we don't want to hear about it and we make it about us and it's not about us. Right. 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 Everybody. Um, you know, everybody. something that I found really helpful about death is, in general is that death isn't painful disease is painful so we want good medical care to control pain because i think pain is something that we're really afraid of 
And if you if you realize that it's not death that is that hurts you, you know, it's the it's the illness that sort of changes then. Oh, well, what is the kind of treatment that we need? What is the kind of team that we need? you know, at end of life, because there is that point when we're not going for a cure anymore, but we're actually going towards healing. And healing is a lot different because healing is making someone feel safe at the end of their life, you know, and that's where the family really comes in to, to, to play too, because if the, if a family is warring around someone who's dying, that's creating psychological pain for the person who's dying. It's making it a lot harder for them. You know, instead of sometimes what happens if someone's dying is you objectify it and say, they're other now, they're not human, they're dying, and they're over there, you know, and so the drama becomes the family, instead of this is the time to be selfless, and really create the environment that allows someone to die in peace, you know? And so that means having the right team that's caring for them, controlling pain, you know, and um, it's really about environment. But is that also because that selflessness or you're trying to get over that, is that because everybody handles grief differently and they don't know? It's again, it's that out of the, or out of the, you know, you don't expect it, that emotion that's coming, this death, you didn't expect this. you didn't expect uh, one day in you know that particular year that you would be you know over the next days or weeks or uh, you know weeks that someone's going to be dying and it's going to change how the family is your routine is everybody's been disrupted and is and the grief treats everybody differently or everybody treats grief differently so how do you come together that's a good question this is why you want to have these conversations before you're sick, you know, you you really want to have these conversations earlier on about what what do you want? You want to have your will in place, your medical directives, all, all of all of those kinds of fundamental structures. You want those in place, so it's very clear. And 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 you know this too is that every two years you should re- look at your will again and redo it, and look at your medical directives and redo it. Like it's a, it's a, it's just like becomes like oh, you pay taxes once a year. You look at your will every couple of years. You, you know that, that it should be as routine as that. So that part isn't so much a, a surprise. And I think the other thing is that when someone is dying, a, a matriarch, a patriarch, the whole family dynamic changes, Absolutely. and we grown professional adults turn into children and we start picking up on roles that we had when we were young you know and and you know it's some kind of insanity but you're totally into it (laughs) it's very hard to break out of that so I, I think that also if you know that death can do that to a family if you can have a little awareness of that that can help too that 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 and this is why I think it's so good to tell stories like you do with your family and what happened, so people can go, oh my God, that could happen, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure that can happen because we don't talk about it, right? We don't talk about those things, not very often, not unless you're, you know, a, a major communication family like the Shaw family going through their, um, you know, uh, <laughs> <That's another laughs> their public. very public drama. <laughs> 
exactly. It's and and but it's a perfect example where you say, you know what? Even very wealthy people have a you know the TV show Succession, same thing. What's that based on? It's based on a guy who hasn't had conversations with his three knucklehead children who have no idea about how to run the business, but they're they're waiting for him to die, and they they want to step up and take over. And and I think that's what draws people in to say, wow, this family is crazy. That could never happen to us. I haven't got that kind of money. It it's it can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. Well, I, I think that kind of a lot of the things we've already talked about were the driving force behind it. But what I will say is that one documentary became three. And I think there's an epilogue that I'll probably do as well. So the first film is out in the realm of death and dreaming. And that looked at the big question of, well, what happens when we die? Does consciousness continue or is it lights out? And that's really a, a look at sort of deathbed stories, near-death experiences, and some of the science of consciousness. Is it, you know, what what do we know? What do we know? And the reason I started there was that as individuals, what we think happens when we die informs how we live. And and also it gives us a little bit of a basis for talking to people. You know, well, this is what I think. I'm, you know, I think that 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 it's lights out. And so this, these are the kinds of ways I want to be treated at end of life. Um, the so, second so, film, so which wait, is- So what's the goal? What what do you, when someone watches this first one in the realm of uh, death and dreaming, what do you hope for them to come away with? What will they have learned? Um, well, what I try to do is lay out a lot of information for people. So there's scientists talking about what do we know about the science of consciousness? You know, where's the physics at? Where's the neuroscience at? You know, what, what do we know? Because we know one thing for sure, that we cannot prove that consciousness continues after death, and we cannot prove that it doesn't. So it's a 50-50 thing there, what you might believe. And so there are a thousand years of recorded history of people who have had near-death experiences or deathbed visitations where, you know, you walk into the room and your loved one is talking to someone in an animated way that you can't see. So what is that about? Is that just um, a hallucination? Um Actually, the science says it's not because the the neurological behavior is very different than a hallucination. But what is that about? Well, we don't say what it's about. It's more like this is info. Here, here you go. What are you going to make of it as an individual? And I'll tell you for myself, it was just one more step in the direction of realizing that human beings, there's a whole side of being human that I had never considered before. So it, it, it expands the notion of our humanity to me, but right. someone else might feel another way. My, my brother is like, that's absolutely lights out. All that other stuff is just made up, whatever. That's great. So he knows where he stands on the, on the issue. So that's, that's really the goal of the first one is just to say, here's this whole world. What do you think? You know? Right. So that's the journey that, 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 that I take viewers on there. And in the second one, I think it's saying goodbye. That Yeah, saying goodbye, and that's preparing for death. So that's really a, a focus a lot on relating with fear, 
having the conversation, thinking about where do you want to die? What would it look like? What kind of a team do you want? Like a hospice team, death doulas at home in a hospital. And really the, the goal there is it helps you with things like medical directives. You know, if you think about how you want to die in it, then it also helps you with how to have the conversation, you know, how important the conversation is to have well before you're faced with a diagnosis. That is actually the worst time to have the conversation because then you're hit reeling with the fact that your mortality is in your face. Now you're supposed to relate to your loved ones. Better to have that stuff taken care of before you're in that 11th hour. Yeah, that's what I always say. You can have a meaningful conversation with anybody when they're on a ventilator. So you need to figure it out and have that conversation. And the third uh, documentary in the trilogy is called Architecture of Death. Tell me a little bit about that. And how is this wrapping up everything? Is it sort of putting a nice little bow on it? Or is it, here's a little morbid, is it closing of the coffin? See what I did there? Of, of everything that they've learned? I don't know where that came from. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's not quite as tidy as that, for sure. The, okay. the architecture of death is the inner world of dying. So it really um, looks at what's happening in the body as it's dying and what's happening in the mind. You know, and this is this is what I earlier referred to as the language of death, the things that my grandmother really knew about because she was one of 12 kids and um, being one of the younger ones helped a lot of her siblings or aunts and uncles and things die. So um, that that is that is really the um, maybe the month, weeks, days to the moment of death. What does it look like? So really demystifying that that phase. And also I think for loved ones, you get a much better idea of how to help support someone in those final days of life. And so really we take you up to the end. Um, and a little bit about maybe what one might do in the, the days that follow. But really it's just saying, this is what death looks like. Right. Um, and again, I think that's important because where do you want to be when you die? Who do you want to have around you? You can actually say, I love my children, you know, but Marlo is crazy. And when I'm dying, I don't think I can handle having Marlo around me. You could say that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but and we never Marlo, think, but, but how would Marlo feel? Well, I think this is if Marlo knows in advance that this is your wishes, and I think this is key, um, she might be pretty pissed off about it. <laughs> um, or she'll she'll respect it, you know, but no matter what, if you're having that conversation, if you know a bit about your own family dynamic, and most of us do, it's just whether we want to really be upfront about it or not. You know, if if you if you really start looking at what death is and what it feels like, you know, cause we don't know. Um, if you really get a feeling for that, then it's important to create some boundaries about what you want. You know, other people might be like, there's everybody is welcome. They can all climb into my bed. And some people are like that, please climb into my bed with me, hold me, whatever. 
You know, everybody's going to be different, but being able to imagine what end of life could be is the only way you can really start thinking about what you want. All right. Yeah. So through all of the interviews that you did with all the experts, did you learn something new? And my <laughs> last question would be, is the final outcome of what you came out from the uh, the trilogy, is it envisioned what you, when you started the project? Well, this is where this was for me as a filmmaker, a big adventure because I went in without a script. So I went in with just being curious and I'll tell you, I had no idea. All of these things that these three films, very little of it could I have imagined going in. So it, it, it is, um, the whole thing is a bigger field, if you will, than what I had imagined. Um, and I think it's partly why I think I'm going to do an epilogue that really will be for the people left behind. You know, what remains? And that's that's the grief journey and that's the family journey. And it's, you know, more of what is in your bailiwick in a way. Um, but I, I couldn't have imagined how rich and deep and... Um, wow, just how expansive this whole thing is. You know, how many people are involved with end of life? You know, it's it's lawyers and morticians and death doulas and nurses and doctors and family members. And, you know, the, it, there are a lot, a lot of people that death touches that have nothing to do with the family until death does arrive. And we, we never... Think about that, you know, chaplains and spiritual caregivers and all of the, it's a huge array of people. And in, a, in so many ways, they are um, unseen in, in some ways in our society. And they shouldn't be. They should be celebrated because when babies are born, we have midwives and uh, obstetricians and, you know, uh, birth nurses and you know and we love we celebrate them they're really great and you know it's like it's the other portal we have to we till you're touched by it, you don't realize how grateful you are to the skilled people who come to your assistance yeah it's it's funny you should say that when my mom first passed away close she was at and 18 months later was my my uh father but it was it's the same hospital and the 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 staff couldn't have been more caring and loving. Um, and they remembered, ironically, um, because there was, you know, a lot of laughter because my mom was still making us laugh um, until she couldn't talk anymore. But they remembered us from 18 months earlier. And they said, you know, we remembered your family and how what your mother was like and how she made you guys laugh and all sort of stuff like that. So mm -hmm. they should be celebrated. It, it, it's a special type of individual who's decided to you know make this part of their life to help others through the most it is the most difficult time in somebody's life i've been through a divorce yeah it's bad and you know it's it's a different type of grief but the loss and death of someone close to you and it's a parent you 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 can't imagine and to have somebody there that's going to comfort you and comfort the family because they've mm -hmm. seen it all before Right, and they're and they and that's a special type of person that's going to get up every day and go to work because they know exactly what they're going to see, 
and the decisions and what they're going to hear and the screaming and the and the hallways and the crying and the grief it's a special type of group of people that have decided to dedicate their life to help others absolutely yeah so thank you all for what you do <laughs> absolutely so where can people go to experience the when you die project when you die.org that's our url and uh, we have the first film is available to rent on our website and the second second one we will be releasing uh in well we'll start doing some big events where ticketed events where people can come online in january um actually the first one that we're doing is the 21st of january with hospice nurse julie who's an influencer a big TikTok sensation and she and I will uh, host film and have conversation around it and do Q&A. So whenyoudie.org, you can find out about that or visit us on any number of social media platforms. Johanna. In fact, all of them. <laughs> Johanna J. Lunn, director, producer of When You Die. I want to thank you so much for being here on Executor Health Podcast. It's been a great, you've brought up subjects that people probably never thought of. And you're doing it in a visual way, as opposed to the, the talking, the, the visual way of helping people see that um, that when you die, it's it's not going to be as bad as you think. And also to have conversations to help families through the most difficult time when you leave them behind. So for that, I thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on to talk a little bit more about what's going on at the When You Die Project. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, David, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.